0: Welcome to the Quantum Leopard podcast. Uh, quantum Leopard is a multi-award winning, pay what you like, no punching down, no picking on the audience, gender balance booking, central London Saturday night, of lovely comedy and this is its podcast. Every episode we'll have a recording of a real live set from one of our nights and an interview with the comedy brain behind it. Uh, we have uh, videos of full shows up on patreon.com forward slash quantum leopard and that's going to have loads of sets that aren't in the podcast as well. Uh, we only charge when new live show videos come out. I'm your host and MC James Ross and this is Quantum Quantum Leopard. In this episode, we have the wonderful Stefan Allen. Uh, this set was recorded on the 26th of June 2021 by Matt Hyten at 21 Soho. Uh, and the interview took place on the 7th of April 2023. And uh, this sort of continues our sequence of openers. Um, I thought this was a good one to follow on from Raw because he's another extremely versatile non-London act who's uh, thoughtful about their comedy and smashes it in mainstream and alternative rooms. Um, this one was a socially distanced gig because um, we were in a bit of a COVID lockdown in between situation at the time. So the audience was a bit quieter than usual. Uh, Content warnings on this set for passing references to racism, genitals and experience of homo and biphobia. Uh, Enjoy!
1: Hello! Uh, That was sooner than expected, nice to see you all. My name is Stefan, I'm from Wales. Pleasure to be abroad. I've, uh, no, genuinely lovely. This is only my second gig back in uh, England, uh, but I like this bit of it London, very much the Swansea of the East. I've, uh, <laughs> I, um, I, I, I like Swansea. Swansea's good. Anyone know it? It's, I don't recommend it, but I, I love it, right? I, live, I say I live in Swansea. I grew up uh, in Sketty, which is quite a posh part of Swansea. As these things go, um, I'm, I now do comedy, I've moved to LA, uh, which is Lower Avid, which is the bit in the middle, and uh, it's halfway between the train station and the football stadium, which is where tourists come from and where they're usually going. Now anywhere else in the UK might have made sure that the bit in between was quite nice. It's not the Swansea way. Uh, my, uh, my area is not a good area. It's so impoverished that about uh, eight years ago, it was ranked uh, among the 5% poorest areas of Europe. Of Europe. Right? Like, like, I don't know if you've heard of Europe. But that's where Greece is. (laughs) You have no idea how humiliating it is when my little bit of the Western world makes it onto that list. The European Union did up my house. I haven't made that up. Like, they literally, they came over, they sort of did it up my house, every other house in the area. It added 20 grand to the value of my house. I don't know what house prices are like in London, uh, but where I'm from, that's most of the value of the house. Uh, not a clever area either, because three years later they almost unanimously voted leave. Oh. Which uh, now, and I don't know how people feel about it. I mean, maybe it's in the past now. But my feeling is, if you feel a bit awkward about that joke, uh, grow up. <laughs> uh, cause it's fine, isn't it? It's fine. To, I don't, I don't care about you. That's not you. I don't think that's a political. Jo- I'm not a particularly political comic. I don't care if you vote for, you know, Plaid Cymru or um one of the wrong parties but uh but my feeling is this right i think if they've done up your house the least you can do is stay in the club Like, I, I voted Remain to see if I'd get an extension, and I don't mind admitting it. It's not a, <laughs> the, the problem is that we've got this kind of cycle where an area that's already impoverished, people don't have access to much education, so those people are not getting any cleverer. They're not getting out there. Like, my friend Jason, he's lovely, but he's a thief. Um, like, he put that as his job, as his previous job. <laughs> in an application, he's not a clever guy. He's lovely and he's not a bad thief, he only, his level like, the problem is he has no skills. He'd have starved to death without constant theft. Yeah. Right. His level is every day for the last probably 12 years now, he has stolen a Tesco's meal deal. And I don't know what your moral code is, but I think that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Is that all right? Like, I think that's okay. I think, like, frankly, the, the, like, the t- Tesco's are one of the Tories' main donors. His poverty is, in many ways, their fault. <laughs> like, and, and, like they're, you know, it's just a meal deal. They're a, they're a patron of the arts. They can afford to chuck him a sandwich once a day. I say, art, if art is squatting. Um, <laughs> Like he's not a clever guy. Here's an example of that. I had to explain to Jason that the saving on a meal deal doesn't really apply <laughs> if you're stealing it. Like, <laughs> are you? Are you limiting yourself to the cheap sandwiches? He was. He got excited when Tesco added the San Pellegrino to the meal deal. I was like, you're nicking, it. You, one of the main advantages of stealing is you don't have to stay in your price range. Uh, and also he's scared of podcasts, that's Jason. He's scared, the, the least scary thing there is. The, we know what the podcast is, it's something you listen to, so you've got something to talk to your racist mates about, with, so you can avoid the subject of politics. He goes, no, no, my mother listened to podcasts and now she's changed. Has she? In, is that, that's what you're blaming it on? Is that, in what way has she changed? She does yoga now. I think that's fine. <laughs> anyway, he wasn't wrong four years ago. I listened to a podcast that made me realise I was bisexual. So there we are. Um, which I, ah, woo of course, Quantum Leopard. <laughs> I think I, fe- I I forget that that's what happens in this lovely gig. <laughs> That, that when I come out, it's a source of joy rather than fear. Uh, <laughs> I got two cheers to put that in perspective. On the week last weekend, I was in a comedy club where that's the number of people who vomited while I was on. Uh, <laughs> uh, that is true, though. I, I, I realised I was bisexual. It was a. It was an. In- the podcast. I'll tell you what it was. It was uh, released by Attitude to celebrate Pride Month in 2016-17, and. Um, uh, and, and it was two gay men talking about their, their, their experiences and their pasts and I realised that they were also my experiences uh, and sort of I thought about it and, and realised I'm bisexual. And now that I look back on it the signs were always there, my favourite TV show is Glee, my, my favourite band is S Club 7 and, uh, and all my life I've been attracted to both men and women. So the signs were there. Now, <laughs> That's all it means. Um, also, normally I wouldn't go down this rabbit hole, but because someone, did someone cheer S Club 7? Are you the, the, who's you? Is it you? Are you, are, you're, you're t- you are too young to remember S Club 7. You're 25, they're in your demographic, right? That doesn't sound plausible maths wise. <laughs> Actually, although, actually, no, I do know this. Um, if you don't know this, um, give me a cheer if you remember S-Club 7. Right, <laughs> okay. Give me, give me a cheer if you reckon you can sort of roughly guess, you roughly remember when they split up. Yeah, no one does, right? Does anyone want to guess? Check out, they haven't is correct. The S-Club 7, they haven't given... S-Club 7 are a going concern, isn't that... How? How? Why? Now, caveat, it's not all of them. (laughs) Paul left first. In fact, what happens is every so often one of them leaves and every so often one of them realises there's nothing for them in the outside world. And they sort of dash back again. (laughs) When I saw saw them live in Bristol, they were down to three members. Three people isn't even a club. (laughs) At their lowest point, they were down to two members, uh, Joe and Bradley. Now, you're the... Yeah, right. Okay, because you know, right? The rest of you, what's wrong with that? Well, I'll tell you what. You don't know the members. Bradley was the only black member of S Club 7, and Joe was the only racist member. So that is... Those are not the two people you want left (laughs) with. That is an awkward tour bus. (laughs) I say Torbus, it's an uber to Pop World. Uh, I've... Uh, so I don't so know. Um, I, th- I think we don't understand attraction in this country here is my feeling, right? I don't think we understand... And I don't just mean sexuality here, I mean in general. Have you seen the show Naked Attraction? Yeah, right? Give me a cheer if you haven't seen Naked Attraction. Okay, I need to explain what it is for the benefit of you guys then. So this is for the benefit of the foreigners and the liars. Um, <laughs> Naked Attraction is a dating TV show, it is like Tinder but on telly, you go to try and find a date. But the twist, the slogan, is that it's dating in reverse, the opposite of normal dating, because this is what happens, you go on the show and you're presented with six different people and they are all naked. You vote them off, one person at a time, based on their naked bodies, until you're left with one person, and then you and they go on a date, fully clothed. Dating in reverse, because it's the exact opposite of normal dating, where you meet someone fully clothed, and then, if you're very lucky, you end up with six naked people. In boxes. Because... Because if you haven't seen it, you might now be imagining a show that is sexy. (laughs) Ha-ha! No. Um, If France made it, if Spain made it, if this was an Italian show, maybe sexy, I'm imagining polished wood, I'm imagining velvet. Whatever set you had in your minds, this is what it actually looks like. Six (laughs) Portalous. On an otherwise empty stage, they've been adapted, so they've got these sliding doors that come all the way down. Round one, they slide up to there. (laughs) <laughs> Revealing people naked from the waist down, the least sexy form of nudity. And, and like, you see my problem, right? You get these people going on. Oh, I, by the way, I've met someone who was on it. This is the thing about it. If you talk about it on stage, people will tell you. Uh, and, like, if you meet someone who's been on it, there's a part of your head that's like, if I downloaded 4OD, like, I could see you naked. That's a strange energy to have in a conversation. <laughs> But it means I found something fascinating out about the show, which is that you're not allowed to be horrible or shallow about it. They're very firm on that. I've told you what the concept is. (laughs) Literally all you've got to go on is, that's the worst cock, get rid of that one. But that's all, that's it. But they have to pretend, and they do it if you watch it, they... You get, they pretend they can work out the person's personality. Which they can't, I don't care who you are. That is not a skill anyone has. You get these absolute dickheads going on. Sorry, what's the PC term for dickhead? Privately educated. <laughs> going on... <laughs> that is mean, that is a cheap shot, I don't mean that. Um, these people, go, with, with just such an inflated sense of their own ability, going on, going, Ah, she's got very neat pubic hair. She's probably very punctual. <laughs> no! You That doesn't fly, you can't, no, you cannot... You can't derive anything about a person's personality. Imagine if that was the crucial clue in an episode of Sherlock. (laughs) You'd be fuming. If you get to the end, 90 minutes of programming, Mr. Holmes, how did you know he wasn't the killer? Elementary, my dear Watson, he didn't have the knob for it. (laughs) Also, the thing I hate about it is this, why do I like S Club 7? Because there's seven of them. Right? I realise that it's a lazy stereotype about bisexuals, that they are greedy, but... hello. Uh, and, I, and I'm not... Like, I'm happy, right? I'm... I'm but, like... but I, I like... I like a different, you know, S Club 7, one for every day of the week. <laughs> Obviously, now one for a long weekend. Um, but, like, if I went on Naked Attraction, I would want a variety pack of people. And we don't get that. Uh, we get the same type of person every time. Every single person I've ever seen on Naked Attraction is physically fit, pierced, tattooed, tanned, and from Bristol. <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I'm looking for. And I'm not saying, by the way, that you should judge by appearances. That is, No, absolutely don't do that, right? I know. Because the thing is, you did you ever think about this? The friends you make are people who at some point thought you looked like the type of person they'd be friends with. Like, I look like this. Most of my friends are activists. Uh, Or or religious. Um, But, like, I know what it's like to be judged by the way... I I did a gig in Brighton um, a thousand years ago, and uh, I remember I went went into the little cafe next door to the club, and I wanted to buy one of the little brownies, and the woman in the shop went, oh, sorry, darling, they're not vegan. And I'm... (laughs) I'm not vegan, <laughs> but I know what she's done, she's, she's looked at me and gone, yeah, <laughs> I'm, but I'm not, I'm not a good person, <laughs> I just look like one, um, I don't know, like I'm, uh, I'm married as well by the way, uh, to a woman, which is fine, because that's one of the options. <laughs> Um, right, that is a test, that joke. Obviously, you've lied, I knew you'd pass. Uh, but you, 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 people don't know. I think there are still people who hear the word bisexual in their head. They decide that means gay. I'm married to a woman. We've been married for nearly 10 years. It's definitely, it counts. It's real, it's proper, <laughs> right? But it doesn't matter. There are still some people who come up to me after gigs like, who are like, um, uh, excuse me, I've got to say this. Uh, for me, marriage is between a man and a woman. Which mine is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't get me wrong, I don't mind taking my turn on the homophobia, right? Do any of the normal ones. <laughs> Call me a freak of nature, a perversion, do what. You... My marriage it doesn't work. Um, I had one person on TikTok say, uh, Your sadness is written all over your forehead. That's so far, hands down, my favorite homophobia. It's <laughs> like, not on my face, just that bit. <laughs> happy, 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 uh, internalised. <laughs> um, do the normal... My marriage is the one thing in my, in, my, in my life that you can't have a go at me at. Just stay out my browsing history will be fine. Um, <laughs> I didn't say that, I said. Privately educated, are we? Um, <laughs> so I win. I, I don't know. I think... Uh, well, yeah, I'll keep talking. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I like living in Swansea, I won't leave. It's got, it's got a, uh, we live opposite a drug dealer, which statistically all people in Swansea do. Um, I have, don't partake of drugs myself, but again, I know what I look like. <laughs> I know what I look like. People never. I never even got peer pressured with drugs as a kid. Um, but now, at least six times a year, people come up to me to try and buy drugs from me. <laughs> i realize what i look like uh we live opposite uh, a drug dealer and a lot of his like he does hard stuff a lot of his clientele can't um tell their left from right so a lot of them come to us <laughs> but we're chilled right me and my wife we three in the morning we go you want you want number 11. off they go but that means his business since we've moved in has doubled <laughs> So he really likes us, right? As far as he's concerned, we're like his admin people. So, every, so that has perks. We don't use his product, but he, we get a Christmas card from him every year. It's the best thing you can possibly get. Um, and last year, obviously a bit of a weird year, um, I don't think he had access to his normal... We, we didn't get a full Christmas card. <laughs> we got the front of a Christmas card, torn off. On the back, he had written, to Ian. Uh, which is not my name. (laughs) Nor is it my wife's. He'd crossed that out and replaced it with Ian again. (laughs) 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 Merry Christmas from Ian. It's his name. (laughs) Uh, I love this gig, thank you for uh, coming and supporting it. Uh, I'm gonna go now, but before I do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I th- you've been nice so I'm gonna tell you the secret joke I only do in nice clubs, which is, um, it's the, I, I don't know why they put the, the gay, like the rainbow flag on gay porn sites. I don't know if that's relatable to anyone. I don't, I, I don't know why that's there. <laughs> Uh, Because I can only speak for myself, but I am incapable of simultaneously feeling pride and shame. Uh. (laughs) You've been lovely. I've been Stefan Allen. Good night. (laughs)
0: Okay, and that was uh, Steph and Alan. Um, thank you for a lovely set, Steph. That was uh, great and super, super fun. Um, that set was uh, recorded. I'm not sure if I've mentioned this elsewhere on the episode. Uh, if I have, then this will be cut out neatly by Reece. Um But that set was recorded on the uh, 26th of uh, June 2021 uh, at 21 Soho. And the film was done by Matt Heighton. Speaking as an MC, I think we can both agree that it isn't a real skill. But I mean, how do you, um, how do you find it? versus um opening or because I, mean, I mean they they both have the sort of the uh like the core thing that you need to do is get an audience up and going but in a slightly different way as in you've got to do it one with in a bit more relatable way with crowd work and one um with you know stuff that is actually from directly from your brain with material i mean like how do you find that contrast do you have a strong preference
1: um i really really love both mm-hmm. and i think there's a risk in comedy that you can get pigeonholed as one mm-hmm. or the other mm-hmm. uh, and and always the risk is getting pigeonholed as an MC. I don't mind that in principle, because I don't drive. I can't ever double up between gigs. Yeah. So I might as so if I do a gig, I'm there for the night anyway. I might as well MC. So I don't mind getting booked as a compare. But equally, you know, I really value doing Edinburgh shows, full shows that I want to sort of then tour around theatres. And yeah. so I want people to know I'm not just the guy who chats. I think yeah. it's important to me that people understand that I do constructed pieces of writing that have a perspective and build to a thing, which you can't improvise in quite the same way. Yes, yeah. but I do love improvisation. I love. Um, I I really try and avoid material uh, when I when it's crowd work. But what I will do is sort of talk in a materially way. Um, Mm -hmm. So, 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 so you're sort of improvising material, which is different from a back and forth bit of crowd work, where you get someone's job and make jokes about that. But you know, something comes up, you know, someone's a fire off, uh, there's a fireman in the audience. And so you go, Oh, I always wanted to be a fireman. But then I just got thinking, and then you start talking as if it's as if it's writing. So um, I love it. I love that challenge. Mm-mm. um but but it's but it's a, it's a different skill and so you have to be doing both if you you know if you take if you take either of them seriously you have to do a lot of that one
0: yeah yeah i'm sure it's a practice 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 thing i mean like do you find that your brain kind of like more or less naturally works into uh, like works material works things that you're talking about into joke mode into that sort of format and that's a way in which you understand the the, the material that is the world around you and is that yes. something that's kind of come from comedy
1: yeah oh yeah yes and no I, it has definitely come from comedy I think stand-up comedy is a language there's mm-hmm. a grammar to it if you it, you know in the same way that if you're learning French and you put the verb in the wrong place uh, the sentence is understandable, but not correct.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's off. It sounds weird because you've got the grammar wrong. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. And the same thing happens with comedy, where
1: often this is something you can see in new comedians a lot. They have a they have a joke that is funny, but the, the wording isn't there. So the idea is funny, and a yeah. polite, supportive audience might laugh at it. But you know, because you speak it more fluently... Ah, if you just put that word at the end instead of the start of the sentence, yes, yeah. uh, you even unkind audiences will laugh now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean it's, it's very much case that I think you know a, a very good sort of rule of thumb if you are trying to think comedically is make sure that the funny bit is at the end and um, that you don't you know spend the punchline part way through uh you know the 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 sequence that you're building yeah absolutely um yes and i I, think uh, that and and you asked if that skill comes from comedy
1: it does a bit but it Mm -hmm. also comes from the fact that before stand-up comedy i was a translator and Mm -hmm. i think because translation is all about manipulating a sentence because sometimes you know uh it was welsh and english that i translated Mm -hmm. but um but those are you know those are from different families of languages so they're quite differently built Mm -hmm. and so um you know the, the, you know the famous thing that people say about the Welsh language when they learn it, if they're English speakers, is uh, is that it's sort of all back to front. It's all in reverse because it's the, the structure of a sentence is almost the opposite of what you'd expect in English. But yeah. if you're translating a poster that's like, "Wow, hey, come and you know, come visit our all new swimming pool." Yeah. Well, they've made a creative choice to have the word "swimming pool" at the end of the sentence. So yeah. even if that's not natural in Welsh, you need to be deft enough to find a way to put the words swimming pool at the end anyway and I think that's really helpful in comedy Mm, mm. it it, it just gives you it just gives you a cheat sheet of ways of making sure the funny bit is at the end
0: Mm. so and I know you do stand up in Welsh I mean does uh, that sort of uh, word ordering mean that it's difficult to translate jokes from English to Welsh because you've got uh, you know, a certain because you've got that um, that imperative to put the funny bit at the end. Does Welsh sentence structure mean that you then need to reorganise the joke? Like, how do you how do you square that circle while maintaining the comedy? Or do you do you write in Welsh and then translate it to English? Um,
1: so original, like when you're new, it's very very difficult to translate. I find anyway. Mm. So when I was new, I would write completely different material in Welsh and English, uh, and still to this day, my twenty, you know, my standard club twenty in Welsh not a word of that ex- has ever been said in my english stuff i don't think oh interesting okay um yeah it's so specifically built for the audience but that <laughs> yeah. but 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 as you become a better comic you're able to translate a bit more efficiently so so you just develop that skill a bit more so nowadays when i do new stuff in welsh or english y- yeah y- you know uh, you have one idea and you go yeah i can express that in both languages and it might take a little bit of of juggling to get the wording right but mm-hmm. um but but that is that is a skill you can learn in in both welsh and english i don't think there is an idea that cannot be expressed and so uh there comes a point in comedy where you're good enough at constructing a joke that the only real question now is can you convey ideas quickly enough yeah for the jokes to land
0: yeah 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 it's interesting interesting lovely I mean I'm, um I mean the welshness there I think is a nice pivot point to um you know how you kind of uh, start off the set because I mean you, you establish your welshness uh straight off the top and then talk about it um and I, I'm assuming that this is something that you would do almost automatically at English gigs and particularly if you're opening because you're you know addressing the key points of difference between you and the audience building a common platform and so on and so forth like is that a a conscious choice that you're making When you're doing a set earlier in uh, a night to do that?
1: It started as a subconscious choice. Um, You know, when you. I've always written loads and loads of material. I love writing. So Mm -hmm. I've always had tons of stuff. Um, So you just through trial and error, you work out what goes well and what doesn't, or what sets you up for success the best. And so now, um, through that trial and error, I've now codified my rules, which is that. and 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 it is flexible in a nice gig uh you know you 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 have more freedom and if the audience is more relaxed you have more thinking time so you can yeah but but, so i always write out a plan before i get on stage but i think of it as choose your own adventure you might go off so i did not intend to talk about s club seven at this gig but it got such it, it got the type of response that made me go okay that's that's worth going down because this audience is going to like having one person who really likes something it just gives you a hook for talking yeah. about something. So that worked. However, um this was this was an unusually tough gig by quantum leopard standards while still being easy yeah, by yeah. the standard. But it but it was more like a normal Saturday gig. And and a normal weekend gig, um, you give yourself the best possible chance of success. So for me what that means is uh, the first three bits of material I do will be about, respectively, Wales, my sexuality and my marriage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where I go from there is, is, you know, I, I have more freedom. But yeah, contextualising myself as Welsh is important first because it is the least threatening thing about my identity. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so see, if you don't address it, people are like, does he know? Does he know he's Welsh? Is he, <laughs> is he fully aware? Well,
1: because um... th- that's the thing. You know there are some identities that are like that. Um, yeah. You know, the, I think the first person I saw on stage addressing that was Neil Patel, who uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. addresses if his, his ethnicity right at the top and then never again. Yeah. Um, but I, and I I doubt you have to clarify that you're Welsh. Um, but. It, but it's an easy in because you're because you talk about identity and what it does subtly as well, especially in England, is it yeah. it, it so it so I would also open in Wales by talking about being Welsh, and it would serve a different purpose. In yep. Wales, you're saying I'm one of you because yes. because material two is going to be about my sexuality. So if they've already accepted me, ha ha, it's too late. You can't reject me. <laughs>
0: And I'm in. The bisexuals are inside the house. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and it's that it. thing where, um, you know, there's lots of stories of people being sort of low-key homophobic until their child comes out to them. And even if they're yeah. not great in response, they're not going to disown the children. At least most people don't. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so so, you can sort of synthesise that as a comic by going, hey, you should like me. And the most likeable version of me is the sort of, you know, goofy kind of uh, uh, silly, enthusiastic, optimistic Welshman.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I think it's important for... For people who are maybe less familiar with the wider stand-up circuit to recognize that uh you know the, the world is not like um specific corners of social media in terms of its tolerance and you know if you are um doing uh that sort of job as a comedian y- you know you need to build that common platform and you need to ease yourself into that you can't just go straight out uh as much as would be desirable and say this is who i am here's some stuff about that blah 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 you have to kind of like ease into it in order to to gain that acceptance in a a less, a less yeah. enthusiastic and welcoming environment, especially especially in club comedy, where club comedy is quite an old fashioned
1: type of comedy by now. You know, yeah. it, it was it was very exciting and cutting edge forty years ago, but now um, it's you know the idea of sitting in a room to watch comedy being performed live attracts a more old fashioned audience, not necessarily an older audience, mm-hmm. but an audience who you know maybe they still watch telly when it's on, yeah. um, and. Yeah, that does mean the thing you have to respect is maybe that's the first time they've ever heard a bisexual man talk about his experience. Maybe yeah. the first time ever. And certainly the first time they've listened to a queer man, an out queer man talking for 20 minutes uninterrupted. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. it's not it's not that it's less tolerant than the internet in some ways. It's the, It's outside of their experiences. And so I think there is... It, I think it's worth it to approach that with respect, yeah. and yeah. Um, because yes, you know, there's more understanding and knowledge of uh, of queer identities and marginalized identities on the internet. But the other thing that you have is there's much more gatekeeping and narrow mindedness yeah. on the internet. Yeah, yeah. there's more. Um, there's less acceptance. There's there, there's more. You know, um, you see this with pride discourse every year, and I've always mm-hmm. thought of this as sort of. Um, you know if you go to pride pride is a very you know as a, as a live event pride is a very very broad church yeah out in the world there's a sort of uh, there's a, there's a sort of ordinariness uh to to people where you know they they're, they're much more sort of in their communities they're more community people um you know, in that respect, you know, the type of people I follow on Twitter, you know, passionate and wonderful trans activists and queer activists and, mm-hmm, um, you know, big lefty journalists and stuff, in some ways have more in common with, you know, the people on Mumsnet getting radicalized and becoming horrendous. You know, both mm-hmm. of them are sort of closing the, you know, are, 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 have surrounded themselves with people who speak their language and um, and you have to unlearn that as a comic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's important to clarify there that, um, you know, certainly my reading of what you're saying is that you're not both siding that issue. You're just identifying some commonalities of behaviour, which is not the same as suggesting that the two sides are morally equivalent.
1: Yes, I'm not. I'm not. Um, I'm absolutely not talking about what people think or why. Uh, I'm talking about human behaviour. And one thing is, if you are going to be a stand-up comedian, if you're going to be a club comic, even if you're going to be a festival comic, you are going to get people in your audiences who politically disagree with you. You may care, you may not care, but you have to recognise that because sometimes having people who disagree with you breaks the show. And if you have a set, you know, I have the line about... um, Uh, You know, I don't care if you vote Plaid Cymru or one of the wrong parties. Well, that is a line that I change depending on context. And (laughs) um, normally I say, I don't care if you vote Labour or one of the wrong parties. Yeah, Because part of the job of that line is to trick people to vote Labour at the next election. I'm like, (laughs) because I may be the first person they've ever met who looks normal and confident... And so sharing a political opinion like that, that is a measurable difference a comedian can make. Yeah. But yeah. in your gig, I'm not going to bother because your your gig's full of people who already know how they're going to be voting at the next election. Yeah. So I just change it to Plaid Cymru because I'm teasing. But then there <laughs> are wards where I would say Plaid Cymru in Wales because they are the best option. You know, if it's... if. Who's going to win in this ward? Well, it's either going to be Lib Dems or Plaid Cymru. And then you look into what the Lib Dems are like in that area. And, you know, whatever. Like I do, I really do the research on what ward I'm in. But I did a gig up in a very safe Tory ward where I did that line. I don't care if you vote Labour or one of the wrong parties. And a woman in the front row said out loud, you do realise you're in one of the safest Tory seats in the country. And there was (laughs) just a little shift because, you know, probably most people in that room voted Tory. Um, yeah. i've just done a you know pretty blatant that's not my party declaration yeah, yeah. and so what do you do and and you know i just treat the whole thing with respect and go it doesn't matter how we vote right here right now i have only one job which is to make you laugh mm. um and, and 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 also i believe that most people who are capable of changing their political views for the better do it in spaces of non-judgment yes. so i so so i'm not both saying, but i do think it's important to me to be quite I crit, I criticize actions and consequences I don't criticize people I try and be quite yeah. open minded and to think you know like th- I mean obviously there are just mad hateful bigots in the world yeah um but I think most right wing people are not like that and most right wing people can have their minds changed and you know that idea that you get more right wing as you grow older i don't think that's true that's nonsense
0: Uh, I i was having this discussion with a friend of mine um who's uh interestingly also um welsh um and about the different ways in which um, people kind of like see their communities when they are in relatively small places such as these welsh examples versus relatively big places like for example london and the way you kind of construct community around that so if you're in a small place then obviously your community is the people who are geographically specific to you they are the people who are nearby whereas if you were in a larger uh place like that is that is not technically possible for most people um and so you kind of you construct your community through um you know affinity groups through uh commonalities of interest and belief and and so on and so forth so you know political groups or um church groups or you know whatever it, whatever it happens to be you know, yeah shared and that, and that um, happens with
1: comedy as well you know what's interesting yeah. to me about coming to london uh and i and i do enjoy coming to london it's, it's such a different scene from anywhere else but mm-hmm. it's so big that whatever type of comedian you are you can find the scene for you yes so, um,
0: so uh, in terms of, um, like you know, truth in comedy. So, yeah. um, Jason, in your sense, so is Jason is Jason real? Uh, is he one? Is okay. he one guy? Is he a mixture of several guys? Like, is this is this story literally true? Is it an amalgam of different bits of stories? What's the What's the process? What's the relationship between Jason and reality? So,
1: this is the question I feared and dreaded the most, but it's your <laughs> podcast, so I will answer it. Okay. Um. Yeah. So, my relationship to truth um I, I it's kind of a creative choice i make every year because i'm on the edinburgh clock uh right yeah. and, so, and some shows truth is essential uh and some shows truth is impossible and so you sort of you but what has to be true i think is it, it the approach has to be consistent throughout a show yeah and so jason well, I have a number of characters in my set. I'm, I talk about Jason here. I also have Catherine and Brett as sort of recurring mm-hmm, characters yeah. in my in my show. All of them are to a certain extent real people, um, mm-hmm. but 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 with caveats. I mean, Jason is the closest to being just exactly one person. I would say he's eighty five percent one specific person. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, and then and then about fifteen percent, various other people I have known and. Um, I don't think anything is entirely invented. Probably some of the jokes are, you know, some of the sillier punchlines. Yeah. Um, uh, Sometimes examples are changed. Um, You know, so so my Jason is like a bit of a conspiracy theorist, and that is a line that, because of the show it was written for, was written very truthfully, but then a pandemic happened that changed everyone's relationship to the danger of conspiracy theory thinking... (laughs) Um, so all, or yeah, yeah. so all of it had to, you know, the routine survives, but the, but the, the examples given have to change, um, and 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 a bit more work has to be done to go, you know, don't worry, he's not the sort of conspiracy theorist that's gonna, you know, that goes around putting up anti-trans stickers or whatever. He's he just, you know, <laughs> you know, like there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 I think, I think the days of the cuddly conspiracy theorist as a pop culture figure might be might be done so, so that's so the story so the story that's exaggerated here is you know my friend jason um not called jason did yeah. did you know did genuinely say and it was actually it was sort of after the 2015 election and it was when you know we th- there'd been a coalition government that we'd all hated and then suddenly yeah. the tories increased their vote and they, and they got a majority and we were all very upset about it and so it's actually jason's thing that he was he was like, "Well, I'm just, I'm not going to feel guilty about shoplifting from Tesco anymore because they, yeah. they're such a major Tory donor." Um, yeah. So you know, so so obviously he is cleverer than I'm presenting him as here, and, and yeah, a bit more yeah. thoughtful. But he did genuinely say, "I'm just going to, st- I'm just going to nick their meal deals." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well,
0: you can. <laughs> So yeah, I mean that's—I'll be honest—that's not necessarily the way around that I would have expected that development to be, like the 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 gap between truth and material to be. Like, Mm. so I mean, what you've got there is Jason is actually like quite quite politically conscious, which is not necessarily what I'd expected. I'd expected,
1: yeah. Once you're relatively funny, being really good is no longer about writing the best joke. It's about improving connection, improving the performance. Improving your communication. Making a joke... You've got the joke. The joke's good enough. But making it land faster means better diction. Means better uh, body language to support your communication. You know, I'm not much of a clown comic, but I do think body language is really, really important. um, Because it's the only thing people are looking at for the entire time you're on stage. So the more that you're using your body language to assist in setting up the scene and there's examples of it here you can see where my hands are going to indicate different things you know I want you to physically visualize things sometimes so sometimes I'll hold up my hand yeah. to indicate that you shouldn't be in looking at me you should be imagining a thing and doing that makes people more likely to understand the slightly more conceptual punchlines in my set
0: yeah 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 it's interesting as well I mean I I think um, I absolutely agree with what you're saying about um having that sort of enthusiasm because that brings out uh, a part of you that an audience wants to see, right? An audience wants to share your enthusiasm for a thing. yeah, And, like... Honestly, with the greatest respect to S Club 7, I absolutely do not give a shit about S Club 7, <laughs> one way or yeah. the other, right? But seeing you really engage with S Club 7 uh, is is really, really fun, right? Uh, that's that's a really lovely yeah. thing, right? Like, I mean, just in terms of S Club 7, like, how long have you been a fan? Like, how much of this bit here is is pre-written material and how much is yeah. you just being really keen on S Club 7? It, it, 7 it is
1: pre-written, it but the
0: enthusiasm is real.
1: I do genuinely, <laughs> I've always loved S Club 7 sure, and yeah? I did genuinely
0: see S Club 3 live in concert. <laughs> uh, they
1: were supporting five, and there were only three of them as well. Did I say that on stage? I can't oh remember. wow! <laughs> uh, so I
0: I, I've heard you say that at some yeah. point, but I'm not sure if it was in this. Uh, um, yeah, I, no doubt the the edit will. will yeah, prove but it I, so I so
1: I really love music, and to me, and this is something I go into sometimes. I th- I think my sexuality is connected to music, so sometimes I'll talk about it. Mm. because you know you come of age. Th- this is the thing. I'm quite a private person in a lot of ways, and it's tricky to be private if you're queer because queerness. Mm-hmm. Well, or at least this, you know, sexuality based queerness is often about attraction, it's about sex. Uh, so it's quite, you know, like you can be straight and very vanilla because you can you can just mention your partner, people will assume you're straight, and no one's going to th- wonder about your sex life. But if you st- yeah. but if you don't address that as a as a queer comic, it's a bit tricky. So I I think I'm always looking for what my sexuality actually means to me. Um, you know, I'm not a, a like an oversexed person who you know like where, where sex is constantly on my mind. That's not what sexuality is for me. For me, it's about it's about those longing crushes you have when you're a teenager. It's about mm-hmm. l- looking at a, a, a pop band uh, and feeling a connection and that music being, like, really upbeat and silly. You know, I love something that you can dance to and feel unrestrained. And, da- yeah. um, you know, like, I am a musician. Like, I, pl- I play the piano. My original goal was to be oh. a, a musical comic, but then I don't mm-hmm. drive and I'm not carrying a keyboard everywhere with me. But, uh, <laughs> Very sensible. yeah. Uh, but you know, so so... So maybe it's unusual that I'm drawn to like very sort of manufactured sort of plastic pop bands, but I just think music is so like it's like food, right? Like it doesn't it doesn't like it do, it doesn't matter how classy the ingredients are. the The proof is in the tasting. You hear the mm-hmm. sound and you know immediately if you're enjoying the music or not. There's there's not a moment where you have to pause and think, wait, do I like this? Um, and okay, there's such a thing as music that's able to grow on you, but. You just know if S Club if you don't like S Club Seven, you
0: probably can't like S Club Seven. You're probably just not built for it. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, I, I've kind of I think I probably always assumed on some level that the um, uh, the, the sort of the fascination uh, for for many sort of marginalised uh, people with a kind of quite uh, upbeat. Uh, poppy uh music is about um you know a a world of an imagined world of safety and acceptance that doesn't necessarily exist in the real life in, in yeah. the real world for that person within well, the experience. It's really weird isn't um, it because partly it's historical. You know the the
1: connection mm. between queer you know sort of um or 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 gay culture as it would have been known at the time and disco is a, is a huge yeah. huge thing you know like they you know disco does as well as it does because of underground gay clubs. Um, yeah. You know, you'd go and dance to these things, and you know that's why they're so long. Like I remember the first, you know, I downloaded "I Will Survive" by Gloria Gaynor, and was shocked that it's it's about nine minutes long or something.
0: Yeah, the yeah the, the full and version it, is pretty long, and it's long. just yeah.
1: because it's not it's designed to be as long as it needs to be for a DJ to cut it. It's not really designed to be listened to it through headphones. It's meant mm. to be experienced live.
0: I, I mean, in terms of your bisexuality and it's like uh, reception on stage. I mean, obviously you get a, a nice little woo from uh, the the quantum leopard yeah. audience, um, uh, which is not not a huge surprise <laughs> given given our demographic. Um, but I mean, how often do you get that sort of response? And has that has that changed substantially over time? Like, what does biphobia look like on the circuit these days? Okay, good. Co- oh, okay, so two, two good questions there. I think so. I think question one: uh,
1: How often do I get it? Yeah, you get woos in cities. Is the answer? it's common it's common in bigger areas because queer people usually flee if they can they go to bigger places yes and they can do so yeah yeah um and they feel safer doing it and and london especially so many people in london their families aren't there so some, yeah. who knows maybe maybe people who who aren't out to their own families back home but it doesn't matter because they're in london now um, mm, mm, mm. whereas they're much less likely to do that if they're in the in the neck of the woods they grew up in uh what does biphobia yeah. look like on the circuit yeah okay so i think i i do struggle with the word biphobia i think um mm-hmm. uh i think i definitely has its place that's not me going there's no such thing of course there is mm-hmm. but i but i think i do think sometimes it is useful to clock the difference between genuine biphobia and misdirected homophobia and I okay, think, yeah, and I yeah. think ninety five percent of the negative experiences I've had have been homophobic, not biphobic
0: sure sure yeah that um, makes sense i uh, feel free to amend my question <laughs> and answer the amended and corrected question
1: well i mean i, I think i think it's interesting and I, and I know that there are people who would disagree with this you know there are some people who would say that homophobia experienced by a bisexual person is biphobia because that's the that's the uh-huh. that's, that, that's being objected to so you know i think the the a lot of these are intra-community discussions but to me i think they're important understanding the question and understanding your your take on it is how we help unpick it. Um, What I'll say is actually an awful lot of the homophobia that I've experienced. You get people being horrible um, on the Internet, you know, so um, in fact, I'd forgotten this. But in this set, it was shortly after I'd had a TikTok that went viral. I don't really use TikTok now, kind of for this reason. Um, Mm. But the, the, the problem with TikTok versus, you know, Twitter, and I don't approve of Twitter, but it's a more useful platform for me is um it's, it's a platform for
0: writing yeah. right? and that's but but yeah. you okay, like and the yeah. thing
1: is i'm naturally better at tiktok because i'm a writer performer mm. so i'm a yep. much like i'm my jokes are better if i can deliver them than if i just write them down
0: yeah so and you rely yeah. on people's uh, voice of you in their heads to perform yeah. it
1: so i'm yeah. not amazing on twitter whereas i took off on tiktok really quite fast um mm. w- which i think has been the experience of lots of comedians but in twitter You things are shared by commission. You have to choose to retweet something. Whereas TikTok, if you watch a video, TikTok understands that. Oh, you watched that video. In that case, we'll show it to more people. Yeah. So, so there's almost an automatic retweeting system. So on Twitter, stuff stop. You know, stuff going viral spread. You know, first of all, your followers retweet it, then their followers, then their followers' followers, and it stops at the point where people look at it and go, "Nah, I don't like that." tweet so much i'm not going to bother retweeting it so 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 the wall there's a wall of disinterested of uninterested people protecting you from bigots your (laughs) your tweet doesn't make it to the bigots because before you hit bigots you hit the wall of people who are like i just don't care about queer issues whereas on tiktok people who don't care about queer issues it's too late it's a four second video by the time they've seen it they've seen it so it's already being shown to bigots, and yeah. so yeah. So I was just flooded with just horrendous comments and 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 stuff, and uh, yeah. and, and and that's the internet. That's just it's just reached the type of people yeah. who don't go to live comedy. They just you know they 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 live in a very small world themselves. So 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 you have that side of it. You don't get that in live in the live environment. You might get someone saying something ignorant to you after a gig, but usually they'll say it nicely because they like you enough on stage. To be nice yeah. about it, so or they... they hate you, in which case they're going to give you a wide berth. Very, very, you know, yeah, if yeah. You, if you're the type of person to pay for a comedy ticket, you're probably not the type of person to give someone a kick in in the car park. Um, yeah. you're, you're probably yeah. just someone who'll tut and give the venue a bad trip advisor review.
0: <laughs>
1: so i th-
0: yeah i think you're right i think it's a very specific sort of person that would pay for a ticket to a comedy show and then come up to an act on who's been on stage after that show and then tell them why they are morally repugnant yeah. um for something that's inherent property of who they are rather than something that they've like said or done the, the right? other thing of course in There's- a gig like quantum leopard is i'm definitely
1: never the only queer act on the bill and I'm certainly yep. not the only queer person in the room. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so you're so you've also got that thing of people are just used to it, and also in London they're used to it. E- even a right wing yeah. gig in London, people will know queer people because it's just a very high population density.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's also a, there's a, a considerable number of queer comics who have done the the gig that we are not mentioning by name, in case we uh, <laughs> summon its presence. Um, yeah. There's quite a considerable problem with that. Well, I mean, it, it, it's part of the you know the process of uh, inculcating and, and building an in group, right? Is that you know part of that level of social acceptance is that you um, you cohere that in group by then punching downwards and further outwards, yeah. right? Um, and that's that's what is more possible for uh, cis white. Uh, gay men uh, to get on board with that, mm.
1: yeah. And I and I and I think the you know the other end of it of it for me is that I you know I'm quite a flexible comedian. I because I'm high energy because the punchline rate is quite high. It's it's fairly easy comedy in that regard. Um, I do loads of gigs on the mainstream circuit, and so yeah. there are gigs that I do. I am often the only queer person on the bill. I am. Often the youngest person on the bill. I'm. Mm-hmm. Th- there are, although I tend not to do these gigs anymore. For a long time, there would be no women on the bill. There would yeah. so, there would be no people of color on the bill. So you go, okay, they're going to watch. What's the lineup tonight? It's three straight white men in their fifties and me. And, yeah. you know, like, and I don't know. You know, the, the, these gigs. You know, like I try, I try, I try and bring people's awareness to these because you know, like people go mad if comedy stores only booking one woman every so often. But the comedy store is yeah. so much better than these gigs. But these gigs are sort of hidden because, like, because our our lot don't get to do them very often. Uh, because yeah. because because you have to because you have to and and in fact a lot of these gigs stopped booking me once I came out, which I will say might be coincidence. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> um but 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 there, but there is a tricky thing there where where um where where you're where you're sort of more out on a limb but even there i just find once you've got the stage and once you're a good enough if you're charismatic enough people will start listening to you so actually the worst yeah. homophobia biphobia i've experienced in comedy has not come from where you would expect them it hasn't come from the types of reactionary reactionary comics who do um you know who do kind of anti woke comedy it doesn't yeah. come from these big like gigs that don't book women you'd expect it to you'd expect them that them to be rife with homophobia but it's not it's the cool comedians that do it it's 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 this sort of ironic detached it's the there's a type of person who believes that i didn't mean it makes Mm. something a joke inherently Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. on stage this manifests as ironic racism right it's um yeah uh uh like and and and, and, i'm not saying there's bad you know there there is good ironic comedy out there also i'm not i'm not writing off all irony based comedy um but there are some jokes where you have to and especially new comics have to learn this quite fast you know They go, well, this is is a joke. Why is it a joke? Because it's ironic. Okay, what makes it ironic? I don't mean it. Okay. The audience doesn't know that. Sometimes the Mm, audience doesn't mm. realise. You think that your the the bigoted position you're pretending to have is so heightened and absurd that no real person could possibly believe it but bad news <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> yes have you been outside recently or indeed uh, well more realistically have you been online mm. recently yeah. so
1: so so i think yeah. so what you get and, and and i think actually this speaks to a much bigger thing i think there's a real problem where especially the more sort of indie cool crowd of comedy and you know loads of my closest friends are part of this scene um i definitely do festivals that qualify as being part of this scene i love this scene but there's a risk that it that it becomes a a a place to nurture bullying uh because these are incredibly witty people kind of who know that they're in a space where they, they'll be understood you can do an ironic racist joke in a green room uh of like a trendy gig because everyone knows that oh my god of course you wouldn't say that you wouldn't have been booked by this promoter if you're the sort of person to believe that so you can get yeah. away with it yeah. whereas if you do that in a green room up in in a you know a gig in birmingham you know just like a circuit gig
0: people be yeah. like, what? <laughs> you know, like, to, yeah, like, to a certain extent, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't want to... Oh. I, I mean, I think part of that is people who feel that um, the the struggle is over um, because they are not directly involved or affected by it. They've been insulated for the consequences of, uh, you know, that issue that they are holding forth on, and therefore it is an appropriate subject for irony because the question is closed. Yeah. So because they're materially insulated for the consequences of that, they can they feel that they can play around with that because it's part of you know this this uh, toolbox of ideas that they can kind of like mess around with in a consequence free environment yes yes that's it and um, yeah so um I'd like to move on to the bit you do about naked um, yes. attraction um so now this bit here you've got a, a pretty classic uh, pullback and reveal uh, type structure here upends a basic concept. Bridging joke works really well. Whole sequence is a nice uh, relatable bit about something that people have either they've either heard of it or they can have explained to them very, very quickly. And, you know, it's, it's a bit sexy. It's a bit silly, but not too much in any particular direction. So um, to me, that makes it a very good choice for um, a, a bit of material that should go in like an opening set. Um, and is that uh, is that a deliberate choice is this a part of something that you do you include this bit when you are middling or headlining is it opening specific or is that not yeah I, I included
1: everywhere thinking. actually it's a very it's quite a flexible bit okay. and because the other thing about it it works for headlining because it's also very choreography heavy uh right and, yes I, okay. and i think and i think if you're going to and, and actually yeah who knows who's listening to this but if you are an opener listening to this if you're a, a, a circuit opener You know you may be earning a full-time living and you just cannot work out why no one's asking you to headline i think choreography is often the answer you've learned everything you can about delivery and writing the thing that your act is missing is impact and the lack of impact comes from the fact that you're moving the same way every other comedian moves um now Mm -hmm choreography is tricky because you have to work out choreography that works for your character and that you are physically capable of doing um i'm dyspraxic that limits my movement to a certain extent um i also have adhd so i forget not to bring drinks on stage with me sometimes and then my dyspraxia knocks over the drink so so, so, it's all you you know um a thing i find really really difficult is not Letting the cable of the mic get in my way when I'm performing—that took me ages to to learn.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, uh, that is a nuisance. So, yeah.
1: um, but you—you you, you know, this is something you can rehearse, and actually, it's nice because I think more comedians should be doing more work when they're not on stage on their on their sets. And and people know that they should write out their thing, but you should rehearse it, and you should rehearse it physically. So, um, Naked Attraction, huh. I describe with my body the shape of the of the stage. Um, you know i'm going i go right off to the side to indicate where the where the the pods would be i i walk from one side of the stage to the other to indicate the journey of dating from a first date to um to being naked or rather in reverse so you know so so that i can do that backwards Mm -hmm. and just psychologically kind of ground people where they are um i you know levels you know actors know this if you're if you're doing if you're on stage for a certain amount of time you should try and use every part of the stage and you should go up and you should go down at some point and um Yeah. yeah and so you know i go right down to indicate that the doors on the pod slide all the way down um I, th- I'll, I usually I go up for, I usually go up to indicate that I live halfway between the train station and the football stadium I'll indicate where those are and that's me putting my arms all the way up Yeah. so basically all of these different factors makes this just a really really dependable reliable bit um, and, and I also have this new theory that I'm developing at the minute which is that when you do a 20 as a comedian you should think about it roughly in thirds and a third of the material mm-hmm. should be for them a third. Well, how do I put this? A third of the material should be stuff that they that they care about fundamentally. So this can be stuff about drinking or sex, just really yeah. obvious topics they're always interested in. A third of it should be stuff about you that they are interested in. Uh, whales, yeah. marriage, children, if you've got them, pets, if you've got them. What you know, mm-hmm. things that are mm-hmm. specific to you, but audiences relate to. And then a third of it should be stuff that they don't care about. But you do, uh, and mm-hmm. and S Club Seven, Naked Attraction. Yeah. Naked Attraction is yeah. sort of straddles the line between those latter two because, like, there's actually a little bit of everything in it. it they they care about it because yeah. it's nudity, and and audiences love hearing about nudity. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about yeah. me because it is all rooted as being about sexuality and attraction. You know, I, I don't say it glibly. Mm-hmm. I genuinely believe that Naked Attraction is about nudity but it isn't sexy and that's fascinating um because that's yes, like a yeah. you know a pop band is sexy when there's no nudity so that so that, so those are different things and that's interesting to me so it's rooted in my sexuality in that way and also even even though they care about nudity even though this is about sexuality above and beyond anything else i have watched a lot of this show and i care about it on a, in a level of detail uh that um, that they simply won't, you know. And Escalope Seven's a better example yeah. of that uh, specific thing. Yeah. Um, all uh, all my shows seem to have bits about telly in them. I love telly, and so you know, I've got stuff in my in my shows across the years about um, Come Dine with Me and uh, Iron Fist and whatever what I was watching yeah. that year and had lots of thoughts about. Um, so yeah, so that Naked Attraction is almost the only bit that I always do. Uh, in in a club set yeah.
0: because it's
1: it's ju- it's just mm. that much stronger than anything else I have and that much more reliable.
0: Yeah. Interesting, interesting. I mean, you, you you go on nature in the set to kind of like pull in S Club 7, Naked Attraction, Bisexuality, like all in one go. And that gives the set overall, you know, a structure and a sense of intentionality, yeah. Um, which uh, otherwise it's, you know, you, you can be lulled a little bit too easily into as an audience member thinking that, okay, these are just some thoughts that I'm having yeah. off the cuff. Um, You know, this is the, this thing, if you, if you are good enough at being an accessible uh, and accommodating performer, that seems friendly and relaxed on stage people just think that you're just having a yeah. nice chat with them uh, whereas actually there's a lot more lot more thought behind it so you're 13 minutes into uh the set and you you bring in uh like appearance based humor I'll talk about you know you you know yeah. what you look like about being um you know looking like a vegan and so on and so forth um and you're then quite self-deprecating about it and now obviously appearance based humor is, uh, is usually part of an introduction it's um, something that's particularly common amongst uh, newer comics because you're establishing those kind of like key points of difference between you and the audience um, and uh, is this something that you've mentioned later and later in sets as you've got more experience and established or is there a particular reason for having this bit um, this much yeah later it's in there that to stop
1: people coming up to me and telling me I look like Jesus afterwards <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, so i mean like the the last line which you kind of like you give us as a, a little bit of a, a bonus uh joke at the end uh, about pride yeah. and shame uh in relation to bisexuality so i mean um do you do you yeah. feel ashamed
1: i do and i know you shouldn't and it's hard it's just you can't shed your upbringing i think and i grew up at a, mm. in a um th- there are worse times to have grown up in but It still wasn't great, you know. Mm. I look back and I think, you know, I had lots of very close queer friends in school, but none of them were out back then. Neither was I. Um, Some came out in university, some came out a lot later. I came out a lot later. I was in my late 20s, I think. Mm -hmm. And and obviously there's people who come out way, way, way later still. Um, Yeah, you shouldn't feel ashamed, but it's hard not to. and And sometimes I feel ashamed, like later on, I'll be in my hotel room after a gig and think oh god why did I say that you know um stupid um I think I don't think anyone should feel that way but I may as well be honest and say that I do and I and I and I, I work on not feeling that way I train myself to say some of this stuff on stage um because it will help me make peace with it but some stuff I say on stage I would never even say to people i know interpersonally you know it, it, that only belongs on the stage yeah. um yeah that you know that that's another thing to preempt an audience question as well that joke um i talk about gay porn because um and and it's why the line you know just stay out of my browsing history is in there is i i need people to know that my sexuality continues despite being in a monogamous relationship um yeah yeah, it serves a purpose. It, it's so it sounds confessional because you know most comedians who talk about porn are either be are either deliberately exposing a taboo or they're deliberately being confessional. I am just saying the only thing you can mechanically say to to viscerally yeah, yeah. sell to people that my attraction, you know, the truth is that is not how my attraction to men mostly manifests. I'm not, you know, um, mm. it's it, yeah, it, it's um, but. But no one wants, you know, like it's it's much much harder to sell the way att- you know the attraction genuinely works for me, um, yeah, know, because 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 I'm quite a sort of soft boy. I'm quite a sort of, I'm, I'm a, <laughs> i you know my 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 interest in romance is very sort of PG rated rom com. Um, yeah, yeah, but but you know an audience wants something a bit more taboo than that, and again it's just the most efficient way of doing it. So. So yeah, and I, and I think, and I think partly something I found quite validating is that when I get on stage and say things confidently, my favorite type of audience reaction is when queer people come up to me afterwards and say that they felt validated by it. Um, And and sometimes people I know in real life have come to see my shows and go, you know, maybe they're quietly bisexual themselves, but don't make a song and dance about it. But me making a song and dance about it makes them feel like, oh yeah, um, you know that line. It's one of the options. is a is my gift to the bisexual community. I may have written it just to sort of preempt or annoy uh, questions from the audience. But almost every bisexual person I've met who's monogamous has experienced imposter syndrome, uh, which I don't yeah, yeah. actually. Which you know, I, I think I'm unusual in that. Like I've never. I don't doubt it now. Uh, like I mean when I was closeted I was I suppose I did but as soon as I came out I was like oh no no this is real and part of it is because I'm in the public eye you know in Wales in Welsh especially like you know yeah. I do interviews on the radio all the time every coming out day, I'm invited onto telly to, you know on some daytime talk show to talk about queerness and um and so yeah. very quickly you go you know if I of course I'm queer <laughs> you, know, you know like so, <laughs> so I don't think I get imposter syndrome but I do get shame.
0: Yeah. So I mean is there if there's one thing you could say to yourself at the age of 18 knowing what you do now about comedy about who you are like Ooh, what would it good be
1: a question because I wouldn't want him to live a different
0: life in a lot of ways. I think I think I yeah. We we've we've got to assume that there's no danger of serious like time okay. paradox or anything like that. This is this is an emotional rather than a science fiction question.
1: Um
0: I think I would just give him a list
1: of people to avoid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I, I think everything else valid. that that okay. guy
1: did put him in a good position
0: one point I just want to uh, pick up briefly there uh, before we uh, close off here we were talking a little bit about this uh, before we started the recording was about um like just the sort of the like the mechanics of um comedy and the sort of the the, the material reality of it because um, you were talking about uh, living in Swansea and you also mentioned that you don't drive and obviously Swansea is quite far away from quite a lot of places where there might be yeah. comedy um and um I just wanted to talk a little bit briefly about you know One of the things I want to do with uh, the podcast is kind of like demystify a little bit um, the uh, nature of, you know, how comedians operate, even those who appear to be full-time comedians. Do they have day jobs? Do they not? Um, And a lot of comedians do have um, day jobs or part-time jobs or side gigs uh, of one sort or another. Um, But you don't really, although I know you have mentioned occasional um, side jobs. And that's, uh, I think from what you've been saying, is a significant... um, a significant part of why that is is because you live somewhere that is cheap essentially um, yeah. um And uh, I just want to kind of like bring that out a little bit more um because I think that's, uh, you know, um, a, a potential uh, alternative um strategy. And I, I think one of the things that I think is quite interesting for somebody who is a London based mm. comedian with a day job is to see somebody who is a non London based comedian, um, you know, not having gone down the route of I must move to London because that's where the quote unquote opportunities are. But, you know, you are being a full time uh, comedian mm. for a living uh, with without uh you know significant additional um side uh, gigs uh, or extra work etcetera etcetera and the way you've done that is by not following that London centric Yeah I
1: remember route. you were the first person I ever heard use the phrase semi pro for a comic um okay. and this would have been 2015 when I first gigged for you uh which was also my first yeah, yeah. year being full time um and I and I and I think right. you referred okay. to me offhandedly as a semi pro comic and um which mm. because of course from your point of view of course i'm a semi-pro you know i'm op- like if i'm opening a gig um uh you know your gig in london on a, on a saturday and and i and i don't have a profile this was before i was gigging for any major clubs um all, so all my yeah. income was coming from little independence um you know in london that's a semi pro comic because there's no way that guy's making enough yeah. money to sustain a london lifestyle which i wasn't but i wasn't in london so yeah, yeah i so you so you yeah. can definitely do it <laughs> so so i don't think we had I mean, I mean i think i think this could do with being imported into wales because the cost of living is going up and and also there's more comedians now than there were before so i do think the semi-pro model is good you know i have friends who maybe work two days a week in retail in order to do comedy the rest of the time and you know that's an extremely valid route um but i think i I think if you you know if you live somewhere regional and you can drive that is the easiest way to make money in comedy what you lose out on is connection to the industry most of the industry yeah.
0: Yeah. Lovely. Absolutely. OK, super. Well, um, thanks for uh, uh, chatting with the Steph. That has oh, been super, lovely. super great and lovely. Um, could uh, if people want to catch up with you and what you're doing, um, uh, where can they find you on the Internet?
1: Find me on Twitter at Stalin, uh, with a U, S-T-A-L-U-N. Mm-hmm. And come and see me in Edinburgh. I do
0: that pretty much every August. Yeah, lovely. Um, uh, uh, Steph's shows uh, are um, almost always, always, always on uh, PBH Free Fringe um, and uh, well worth an hour of your time. Uh, so uh, do track them down uh, if you are up. Okay, love yourself. Um, thanks so much, Steph. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'll uh, see you soon. ta See you soon. Thank you. Bye. ta was the quantum leopard podcast uh, if you want to catch a live show in london look us up at uh Linktree uh, forward slash quantum leopard to sign up to the mailing list uh we will never take advertising because advertising is cultural poison but from each according to their ability to each according to their need so if you enjoyed our guests in your ears but we'd like them in your eyes as well uh we have uh, videos of whole shows up on patreon.com forward slash quantum leopard we only charge when a new live show video comes out if you enjoyed the show why not give us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice and or share this episode on the socials editing was by uh reese lawton who is uh conventionally attractive and fun of parties uh, music was composed and produced by rooks production services at, at i am rooks on the socials that's brooks with an e uh, the quantum level podcast is distributed and licensed under a creative commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives 4.0 international license which means you can share it as much as you like but don't uh, change it or sell it in any way because i will find out where you live uh, kind love and see you soon bye